As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Once you tap into that inner wisdom and you're able to really listen to your body and the body carries the memories of everything you went through in your life, then all of a sudden you realize you always had all the answers. A little bit like Slumdog Millionaire. He comes on stage and... He knows nothing. He's the dumbest kid around. No, everybody has all the knowledge and the study, but he has all the answers to all the questions. And we all are this kid who has no idea, who thinks he's completely lost and he has no way to, to win. And actually, oh my God, I actually have all the answers. And it's just having that ability of looking within and listening deeply to the wisdom of the body and the memory stored there. And, and if we can all tap into that, then really we're good. Really we're good. We can all win. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose. Welcome to My 7 Chakras, and now your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My 7 Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, I hope to explore some of my favorite topics such as breathwork, cold exposure, authentic relating, letting go of your fears, and so much more. We're going to get started in a minute. So if you like the work that we do, and if you're interested in these topics specifically, then make sure you hit the subscribe button right now, because what it does is it does something to the algorithm and it helps more people come across our show as well as this particular episode. So make sure, especially if you're on your, on your iPhone, make sure to hit subscribe, make sure to hit follow, and make sure you tell at least one of your friends about this particular episode. Because I'm excited about my guest for today, who is Alexandra Chuk. And Alex's goal is to empower participants in the breathing cold experience to heal themselves with simple, safe, and free tools and techniques after using these same tools and techniques to help 
himself recover from depression, he discovered his personal mission positively impact the lives of others by enabling them to live their life to its fullest potential. And he says that when we change our relationship to our breath, we change our relationship with ourselves. If we change our relationship to ourselves, it allows us to step up in the world, have better relationships with others and with Mother Earth. So, welcome Alex to our show. Super excited to have you on. Thank you. Uh, thank you for saying these nice, nice words. I, yeah, very honored to be here. Very honored to connect with everyone. And those are really crazy times. So I hope we can support people on their, on their journey to reconnect with themselves, really. So thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm not sure if there's some background <laughs> noise that has started right now, but you know, before our show, I said, you know, I just have a feeling that some there's something that's going to happen. And like we're finding out, right, well, uh, you know, th there's a lot of uncertainty, unpredictability that is happening uh, around the world right now. And I'm glad that, you know, we're having this conversation at the moment. So I usually like to start every conversation from the very beginning, which is where were you born and where did you grow up? So I am a Francais. I'm French. I raised and born in uh, near Paris. I left France in my early 20s. I lived six years in India. I lived in Laos. And now I live in Bali, Indonesia, for almost 10 years. And yeah, that's it. I love connecting with people. I love people of those countries. And received a lot from this journey. And I'm on now my path to... I just open my heart and, and support people and give back and just contribute in the way I can so that you know, we can collectively build a, a better world. I come from an environmental background. I'm an environmentalist. I created an app showing you where you can refill your water bottle uh, called Refill My Bottle. I created a community around sustainability, a booking website around sustainability and many initiatives. And I realized that if we want to change the world, if we want to help people, it's not through lecturing, it's not through advice giving. You know, if you look at Greta Thunberg and Greenpeace and the way we are trying to create change, which is usually around shaming people, around telling them what's wrong with them. The only problem with that is it doesn't work. And, and unfortunately, or fortunately, but the only way people can evolve is through their, them going through their own journey. I cannot tell you what's wrong with you. If I tell you everything that I believe is wrong with you, you're just going to disregard me and say, oh, come on, who are you to tell me who I, how I should behave? And you're not going to listen to me. So the only way if I want you to change, if I feel that there's something wrong with your behavior, is just holding the space for you to make that a realization. And it's, you know, this is obvious when I take your example, but this is how we treat the world. This is how we treat each other. We just constantly point fingers on... I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to show you how, how I should be. It just doesn't work. Even if you know exactly what's wrong, like waste problem and plastic issues and the way we treat uh, animals, and they can go on forever or treat each other. It's just the problem with humans is we just keep doing the same thing that we know over and over. We have no, at a global level, of awareness an ability to acknowledge that, okay, the way we've been doing things doesn't work, so maybe we should try to do things another way. And as Einstein said, we cannot solve a problem using tools that created the problem. 
aka you cannot use the brain for solving problems that were created by the brain. So we need to move to our heart. We need to move to our body because you are your body. We are our bodies. So I found that through these practices, one person at a time in a very small and humble level, I can have a much bigger impact than when I was trying to create a global website and solve the problem of plastic bottles or things like that, where really I could, I could sense that I was not making a, enough of a dent. But um, so, yeah, that's my journey. That is very, very intriguing. And thanks for sharing that. It helps build some perspective of you know, the journey that you've taken. And it's very true. Uh, if you look around, a lot of people are you know, shaming each other and are basically telling people what to do. And if you look at people collectively, usually one solution does not work for all, right? And I feel that to your point, what needs to be done more is just education and providing people the options because deep down people have the intelligence. People are intelligent <laughs> to make a decision for themselves very subjectively and also by speaking to the right people and informing themselves. But unfortunately, you know, like you put, especially Greta Thunberg, who I'm not a big fan of, is basically telling people, this is what you should do. Based on I don't know what, but this is what you should do. And so uh, so that was a great observation. The other thing I wanted to ask you was, so you spent some time in India, six years, you said, right? So which part of India were you in and, and what uh, brought you to India in the first place? So I lived in India. Uh, I lived in Places you've never been. You're Indian. You've never been to Saharampur, have you? I heard about it. It's in UP, right? Yes. So I spent most of my time in UP. Uh, so I was in Moradabad, Aligarh, Firozabad, Saharampur. I was based in Delhi. Uh, and I was not having a spiritual life at all. I, was, uh, I had my own business. I was making reproduction of French antiques. So I was taking antiques from Europe and then going to those places and making reproduction of them. I had an incredible time in India. I miss India every day. I really, really love Mother India. And there is some powerful magic happening when you're in India. And it's, it's, it's hard to describe, as you know, and it's hard to put words on what's going on there. But it's such a, it's a cliche, but it's such a country of contrast. And it's just a place where you can just be yourself and, and, and there is enough craziness that, you know, it's okay to be yourself. But yeah, I really, really love, I lived in, you know, Saharanpur. It's probably two or three million Muslim people and me. So I was living there, going to the mosque and I'm not Muslim, but, you know, I loved living in a Muslim environment where it's not stigmatized, you know, and I come from a country in France where it's a big topic and, you know, it's a topic talking about religion and Islam from a non-Islamic perspective is always a hot topic and you stay away. But living in a place where, okay, this is us, this is our life and you're just joining there was really nice. And I got to do some really crazy things, you know. I, I was asked to help the owner of the factory I was living, choose a bride for his son and being part of that world also. And just being immersed in another planet was really, I was 23. So for me, it was a really wonderful, humbling experience. And really what I got from India is to be humble. 
you know, I come from the best business school, being French, you know, arrogance is kind of in my blood at that stage when I arrived in India. And I arrived full of confidence and trust that I knew better. I'm going to show you how things are done. You've done this the same way for generations, but you are all wrong. I'm 23 and I'm right. And it transformed me completely because, you know, as the British experience, you don't change India and they've tried hard. So being confronted and learning to be humble is probably an important part of growing up. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I went through that really, of course, confronting and challenging time for a young adult, but it shaped me as a, who I am today. And I love, you know, this movie Slumdog Millionaire because I we're all the same. I think that's the metaphor is at the end, you have all the answers you need. If you look back at your journey and every step of your journey, you think you know nothing, but everything you picked up in every moment of your life kind of give you the, all the answers you need and you don't need anything else. And that's really the message of Slumdog Millionaire. You've got all the answers you, you need. And if you're able to tap in every part of your journey and how maybe challenging it was at times or confronting it was, maybe those are the clues you need for this you know, holy grail that you're going, the million dollar challenge that you're going for. For me, it's really that. I'm at a stage where I really put together the pieces of the puzzle. And it's not like going back to my spiritual journey and the trainings I've done. And this is almost irrelevant. It's more the life journey, uh, like in the movie. It's the life journey that we all went through. And and when you really go back, says, okay, what can I take from that experience? Regardless of what that experience was, you realize that there is so much wisdom in life. And when you are truly listening and breath work, if we want to move towards talking about breath work, is the art of listening. Is nothing else. You know, I think people are lost too much in techniques and tools and, and things that are very mental about what the breath is about and scientific. And I'm all about that. But if you look beyond the techniques and the discussion on one method or another, it's all the art of listening. How can I listen better? And once you tap into that inner wisdom and you're able to really listen to your body and the body carries the memories of everything you went through in your life, then all of a sudden you realize you always had all the answers. A little bit like Slumdog Millionaire, he comes on stage and he knows nothing. He's the dumbest kid around. No, everybody has all the knowledge and the study, but he has all the answers to all the questions. And we all are this kid who has no idea who thinks he's completely lost and he has no way to, to win. And actually, oh my God, I actually have all the answers. And it's just having that ability of looking within and listening deeply to the wisdom of the body and the memory stored there. And, and if we can all tap into that, then really we're good. Really we're good. We can all win. That's very, very true. I like that you put it that way. Because breathwork can be both scientific and deeply spiritual as well, right? And breathwork does have so many evidence-based, scientifically-backed benefits in terms of how it affects our physiology, our neurology, our emotions, and all these things that can be measured, so to speak. But then it also has this very subjective spiritual benefits that one can only evaluate individually. And like you put Oftentimes, you know, our mind is chattering so much that we don't pay attention to the signs and synchronicities and the messages that the universe is trying to pass on to us. And so if we just, you know, lay still through breath work, through meditation, or even to, through cold exposure, which I love, then we can really get those messages. And 
maybe we get a message once and that's great. But sometimes you have a message that keeps recurring. Maybe it's when we're in our awakened state or maybe through dreams. That's when you know, you know what? Maybe the universe is trying to point me in a certain direction. And like Steve Jobs put, right? He says that sometimes you do like these odd jobs or you may work in company A and then you do something different. We feel that it's all disparate and disconnected, but then we only can look back and then, you know, we can connect all the dots. And like you put, baby, have, we have all the answers already and we just need to, you know, listen to our, what our body is trying to tell us and look for the answers within. So I find that really, really fascinating. And maybe if you can tell us, like, you know, what drew you to breath work? You know, were you doing it for a long time before and then you sort of wanted to go deeper into it? Or was there a healing journey, a healing crisis, so to speak, on your path? What was it like for you? How did it all start? How did I start with breath work? It's a really good story, man. So uh, I've never done any spiritual work. I never, I was doing yoga, but really just asanas for, uh, for the fitness practice. I'm not religious. I, I didn't believe in anything, didn't believe in even energy. I was always jealous of religious people because I felt they had something to hang out to. People who were spiritual and all the hippies, I was kind of judgmental towards them, saying, oh, this is, you know, this is just a persona that people are taking. I didn't truly uh, believe it. I didn't resonate with it. For me, I needed I'm a rational person. I'm science-based. I need to understand things. This is, to, this is completely something that was not accessible to me. And I was going through a tough separation with the mother of my kids, and I didn't want to separate. And the therapist was trying to you know, save our relationship, and she, she uh, asked me to express my emotions, and I had no access to that. So after a few sessions where she wasn't going anywhere with me, I wasn't releasing, I wasn't crying, I wasn't angry, it was nothing coming up from me, she took me to a breathwork session. And as you do, it's a hidden secret villa in Ubud. And I arrived there, a bunch of hippies, 20 hippies, and I'm in a shirt and pants and shoes, and I don't belong there. And I, they all start to move and dance and the facilitator came back from Peru and there are a lot of crystals and feathers and I just don't feel this is my place. And then after a while, she instructs everyone to lay on, on yoga mats and on mattresses. And I was really reluctant. And I realized I'm stuck there for three hours. And I was really pissed at my psychotherapist who, had, who was also there with me. And a few minutes into, the people start breathing with a it was breath of bliss. So it's connected to the breath. So in inhale through the mouth, connecting the inhale and we exhale in a regular flow. And we can talk about the science behind it if, after if people are interested. Happily, I studied it all now. But basically, after a few minutes, a girl not far from me started masturbating, moaning and going for it. And I raised on my elbows and I was shocked. I said, oh my God, this doesn't exist in reality. You know, you see that in porn movies, but that's about it. it it's, not, it's not possible. And no one else cared. The girls were drumming and using feathers and no one cared. And I spent about 10 minutes not understanding what was going on. I was not excited. I was just not understanding. And then I got over it and I decided, okay, let's get something from it. And I took one breath. And I promise you, it took me one breath to get what I 
we could call it download for a better word. All of a sudden, I had clarity on what was wrong with my relationship with my parents. I was running a failing business and I knew all of a sudden why and how. I had, of course, failed relationships with my partner, but also with my kids. I had no relationship with myself. And what was insane is someone who is completely non-believer, very resistant, educated in a very rational environment, etc., etc. All of a sudden, everything lifted in one breath. That's all it took. I released for an hour and a half, like never before in my life. And when the facilitator, as we were sitting in a circle, asked if anyone wanted to grab the, at the time, what I thought was a ridiculous heart-shaped pink crystal in the middle, which was a talking stick, kind of. And she asked, who wants to share? I grabbed it and sobbing and struggling to find the words I shared. I'm changing everything. That's all I could say. I put the crystal back and I never turned back. I, I couldn't save my relationship was long gone, but I changed everything else. I decided if someone like me can have such an experience with one breath, man, this is the answer. This is such a powerful practice that I didn't have a choice. I didn't choose, I didn't have a choice, but to dedicate my life to helping people experience some kind of self-connection the way I did that day. And again, the fact that I was, I'm the normal Joe, that I'm not coming from you know, any culture, any background, and any, you know, that was for me the most powerful part. It's like, I'm just everyday guy. And after that, that for me was the moment where I said, okay, if everybody can do this, absolutely everybody, there's not one soul on earth that cannot experience what I experienced. And for people to understand what happened for 10 minutes, I was present. When do you, you're a meditator, when can you sustain 10 minutes out of your head? 10 minutes of pure connection to your heart. It's really hard. It takes years and years in practice to reach to a point where you sustain 10 minutes of getting up. And I did it against my own will because of the trigger of the girl next to me. But really what happened is the idea that for 10 minutes, I was fully centered, fully connected. And that's all my body and my brain needed to have the space to get this kind of download. And it's really why meditation is the answer, everyone. And breathwork, ice baths are tools that get you to a deep state of meditation. But really, that's all they are for me. They are prep work for meditation. The same way the goal of yoga is uh, shivasana. The goal of yoga is when you're ending. That's the goal of yoga, is to help you center. You should not miss on that part. And I really insist that for everyone who is facilitating breathwork out there. Do not underestimate the importance of the nothingness that happens after a session. And very often you will join sessions where people finish the session and then they bring people back and then, okay, let's share who wants to share. I feel this is a mistake. I feel it's really important to, and you cannot give enough time. So be relaxed. You cannot give enough time. So give as much time because this is where the magic happens. It's always it's always in the time in between and it's always the time after because that's where we really integrate whatever is going on. And if we are just staying in the space that is being held, then we don't have space. Someone else is holding that space for me. But the time where you're just holding the space for yourself, when there is no more instruction, where there's no more guidance, there is no more music, everything stopped, this is where really magic happened because you are now empowered, you're really taking care of yourself. So, yeah. That's, 
in a nutshell, my little initiation with the breath. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. It's very profound. And I'm sure that our listeners who are listening right now or maybe watching a stream are able to relate as well. It's so amazing. You know, like uh, some people historically have believed that heaven and hell are two separate places that, you know, you live your life and then you go to heaven. But if you ask somebody else, maybe somebody who believes who is a Hindu or maybe a Buddhist, maybe a monk or maybe, you know, a sage, they would tell you that heaven and hell are not different places, but they're just here. There are states that one can experience or embody. And like you were in a metaphorical hell before because, you know, you had a different relationship with yourself. And yet after the breathwork session, after the meditation, still the same person by all means, and you were still in the same surroundings, but you experienced your own version of heaven. And you, you decided that, you know, things are going to change. And, and that transformation was awesome. And I also fully agree with what you put uh, or what you said is that the last phase is the most important and beneficial, right? Because, you know, I do breathwork sessions myself and most of them online. And initially, you know, I would, you know, finish the breathwork journey and then give people like maybe two to three minutes. And then I would say, you know, now you can wiggle your fingers, you know, wiggle your toes and, and wake up and, and let's start sharing. Then what, what I decided to do was give people their own time, you know, give them 10 minutes, 15 minutes, allow them to really immerse themselves in their bliss and, uh, and be in Shavasana. And then once we, you know, wake up, that's when people really feel the transformation, right? Because they've gone through the movements, they've gone through the mantras, they've gone through the breath work, and now they get to really get those downloads, deep, full body relaxation, and feel one with themselves. So love, love what is coming through in this conversation. Uh, you know, from your experience, what is happening during a breath work journey? Uh, you know, and you can take it wherever you want, but you know, what's really happening when a person experiences a breathwork journey? So what's, what's happening in a breathwork journey? So first of all, there are many uh, breathwork journey types. You know, you've got rebirthing, holotropic breathwork, Wim Hof. So in a breathwork journey, you can breathe through the mouth, you can breathe through the nose, you can have kumbhaka in between, so some breath holds. So there's a lot of variations that can get you to different places. And 
maybe at this point we can I can share a little bit for for people who are not that much into breathwork some very fundamentals about what's going on because I find that often when we are getting people on breathwork journeys breath journeys we forget to mention that often what we are facilitating is not appropriate breathing and it's important for people who are some people join breathwork with the intention of breathing better and that's not what's happening in a breath, breathwork journey so the way to breathe correctly from a physiological perspective is to breathe from the diaphragm using the diaphragm using the nose breathing and using the maximum capacity of your lungs the yogi says you're born with a set number of breath so it's important to understand that the way to breathe is taking long breaths slow breath deep breath and then we can consciously decide to breathe differently with an intention but it's not the appropriate way to breathe reason being is many benefits but the nose when you breathe through the nose you have hair in the nose that are filtering bacteria viruses so if you are breathing in through the nose all those get stuck and gets filtered when you exhale through the nose they get cleared so when you breathe through the inhale through the nose exhale through the mouth the bacteria are stuck in the nose so exhaling people always ask me so sometimes i hear inhale through the nose exhale through the mouth well you need to understand that from a filtering perspective you're missing you're not allowing this aspect to be processed to work fully so it's important to breathe in and out through the nose it's also the nose will be more related to the part of the nervous system that is calming the parasympathetic nervous system so if you're aiming at a, a calming state you want to breathe slow down deep through the nose so regulation of the nervous system when you breathe through the mouth you will have no filtration you have a bigger amount of air in and out and you know if you're outside it's cold and it's freezing cold and you breathe through the mouth for 5 minutes you're going to get a cold because you bring the the air that you bring into your lungs is way too cold cannot be heated the nose is a heat center as well and it's a heat exchange center so there is also a gas called nitric oxide that is produced only through the nose and improves vasodilatation so it which is important for the blood to be carried from your lungs to your organs is not about getting the uh, oxygen in the lungs well from there it needs to move to the rest of the body and for that you need to veins to be enough open you need the co2 that is carried carrying the oxygen to the hemoglobin with a called bore effect So there is a lot about functional breathing that needs to be said I believe in breathwork as well because a lot of people what they need is everyday breathing and it's very important and my approach and my journey I really insist on my students I teach I do facilitate trainings I really insist that they talk about functional breathing now that being said you don't release emotions through the nose so when you are crying it's like that <laughs> So it's really through when you're making love is through the mouth. So emotions are going through the mouth. So if you want to release emotions now consciously, you can also breathe through the mouth now. But see the difference now we are doing it with an with the intention. So when you are going through a breath journey, what you are let's say open mouth breathing. What I'm doing is I'm releasing a lot of CO2. The CO2 
is the carrier that helps bind the oxygen to the hemoglobin. So the oxygenation of the body depends on your CO2 level. The higher the CO2 level in the body, the better the oxygenation of the body. The goal is not the oxygen. Don't care about the oxygen. It's your CO2 that is gold. It's not a waste gas. So when you are excelling forcefully, or I call, it's called a super ventilation, so it's extra power of exhale, you are lowering your CO2 level. And all of a sudden, there is less oxygen being distributed. That's why people will have a tingling sensation. They will have headache. They will be cold. They will be hot. There will be some kind of modification in the state of the body because all of a sudden, you are having less oxygen, including the brain. So now I have less oxygen heading to the brain. And the brain has to decide who gets the oxygen. Well, we need to provide oxygen to the limbic system, so limbic brain, so we can keep functioning. So the brain is deciding to shut down access to the front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, space of consciousness and consciousness, and also controlling of our emotions and inhibition center, which doesn't develop in kids initially. That's why kids can scream, cry, are much more in touch with their emotions, where adults will suppress them, where it's not appropriate to cry right now, Because, you know, this is not something that I was told is okay. Don't cry. Be a good boy, good, good girl. So I am not going to let go of my emotions because I was raised thinking this is not appropriate. Now, when you do this breathing, you shut down that part of the brain. That's why people get to release much more because they, are not, they don't care anymore. They don't have access to that. So they have access to their emotions all of a sudden. So from a physiological perspective, that's what's happening when we do this connected breath. Now you sustain that for an hour, two hours in, you know, rebirthing or holotropic, then all of a sudden, you know, a lot of emotions can come, can come up. That's one. Number two, what we need is space and time. And our mind is blocking us from giving up, from having space and time because our mind wants us safe. And safe is familiar. And you are happy with your story. You're happy with your persona, with the story you've been telling yourself. This is who I am. I'm from India. I live in, I'm a Canadian from Indian origin. I'm a male. I'm a father. All the things that define your avatar, all your stories, your mind is happy with that. It's comfortable. And your mind is freaking out for you to discover who you are when you remove all these stories because, you know, Indians behave like that. Canadians are like that. French are like that. We are the product of our culture. We're product of our education, our story, our environment. And this define who we are or who we think we are. This is not who we are. These, those are conditioning coming from different perspectives. This is how men behave. This is how Indians behave, etc., etc. And when you are um, breathing, you are creating space. When you're meditating, if you are, have access to deep meditation, you are creating space. And when you are able to create space and time, all of a sudden, you're accessing the deepest part of yourself. You're, going to, you're able to tap somehow to the source. Who am I when I'm not the product of my education, of my culture and all that? And this is what's going on in, in a breath journey. And this is a scary place to explore because, you know, Your mind is protecting you from all that. 
because you don't know who, what you're going to discover. And that's something that could be confronting. That's something that could be relieving traumas, for instance, if you, so this is something that could be extremely confronting in many ways. And I often say that through the breath, ice baths and other mindful practices, you really get to discover one layer at a time who you are not. And who you are not is who you are. So often you don't have to figure out who am I, but you need to figure out who you're not. And that's much easier exploration to be because you get to go one at a time. Okay, let's explore who am I if I'm not a man? Okay, and I can put my intention and my focus on that. Who am I if I'm not a father, etc., etc. And by removing those layers of avatars, constructions, friend of mine calling the theater, your own theater, then all of a sudden you get to, to really tap into the source. And for a lack of better word, it's an incredible journey. And that's why it's so powerful. That is amazing. And thanks for sharing that. Now, me personally, you know, when I do my breathwork sessions, I normally breathe in through the nose and breathe out through the mouth. But what you're saying makes sense. And if you breathe in and out through the mouth, at least during the breathwork journey, that you're able to tap more into your emotions. And that's what I'm going to try out next time. Yeah. Would, would that be accurate in, in saying that? Uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting because we are taught to follow whatever we've learned. And whether you have it because you read it in an ancestral yoga book, you take it a training and you've got someone you respect who's calling himself a teacher and he's come up with a method. So my invitation for everyone who's listening is to let go of teachers and let go of belief that, okay, I had someone like me telling you how to do. That's uh, the same story. And really let go of all of that and explore. And that's really the best thing uh, 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 we can all do is explore because there is so much magic in any in every way. And the beauty of the breath is there, is there is little science yet. And it's absolutely magical to explore all aspects of it. I'm saying it's nice to use the same pipes from a physiological perspective, but we are much more than just the shell. And if we want to access the underlayers, an emotional layer, then, you know, there is yin and yang channels going through the bodies, you know, which part is in the nose, which part is in the hands in the mouth. There's, you know, you can tap into, I really invite people to explore pranayama because it's really interesting to understand not only the different chakras as you are sharing but also the different locks that we have in our bodies and when we can really move energy and tap into that energy so you can do much more than just playing with the breath you can once you play with the breath you can really breathe into different parts of the body so you heal people tearing i heal myself breathing in my shoulder or so there is so much inner wisdom in our bodies and the breath is really the missing link and it gets us to tap in, into that. But be playful with it. Don't be attached to anything that you believe about it. Don't be attached, but just play with it and explore. I tell you, give you an example. And some people who would be watching are my followers. And I would always, I was, I learned with Wim. So I did the, in Wim Hof, they say belly, chest, head. So it's this full body breath. But at the same time, when you breathe through the belly, this is where you also, when I breathe through my belly, this is also where I store my anger, my frustration, all these emotions that you suppress. And when you cry, when you release, it's really upper chest. 
So now I'm exploring journeys where I just breathe through the upper chest and having a shallow, faster, connected breath through the upper chest and really play with it, play with it and see whether, and maybe set your intention, say, you know what, I maybe I had you had COVID and you need to get your lungs to improve your lung capacity because the size of your lungs is related to longevity. So, okay, you're going to go for deep, long, slow, deep breath and really get those lungs working. But maybe you are angry at someone. Maybe you have some frustration that needs to come out. Maybe there is something there that, hmm, I got triggered by this person. I would like to explore why I'm triggered. I would invite for a shallow upper chest breathing session. I think the key there with the breath You can breathe yourself into the state you want to be. And I think the key word here is intention. Breathe with an intention. Very often people will, will go and say, I'm open. I will breathe and see what happens. Well, if you don't know where you're going, you're not going to go there. Or it's, it's harder to get there. So instead of doing that, what if you reflect on, okay, where am I? stuck in my life? Where do I want a bit of clarity in my life? Where do I, maybe I have a decision to make. Maybe there's something that you need clarity on. Maybe you got triggered by someone or something and you want to, and just start there and come with an inquiry. And when you ask questions to the body, you usually get the answers from the breast. But if you don't ask questions, it's harder to find answers. And, 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 and it's, it is amazing sometimes to come and be completely open and say, but I would say maybe it's a little bit harder for the body to provide you the answers. So, yeah, it's nice to journal. It's nice to have a space where you can just really, you know, have a bit of self-reflection. What did I do wrong today? What should, would I change tomorrow? And have those moments of introspection. And the breath is now a, a tool that gets you to actually explore and find answers. You know, as you, I said, it's the art of listening. You listen to the body. And when you listen, when you really truly listen, then you get all the answers. Love that. And I'm sure people listening right now are invited to uh, introduce some play, experiment, and uh, see for themselves what, the, what their experience is, which, which is what I'm going to do as well. And I also love the fact that you... You spoke about, you know, setting the intention before, right, uh, going into a journey or before doing a breathwork session so that, you know, everything that you do, especially your breathing, is more more intentional. And would you say that because when somebody is, you know, in this experience, especially if you're new to breathwork, that it's a vulnerable space. And so you need to know that you can trust the people who are around you, right? What are your thoughts around that? Because at least when it comes to, you know, plant medicine, they talk about set and setting. And set is what you bring into the whole equation, you know, your thoughts, your intentions, you know, your your past, whereas setting is the social environment, which can play such a huge role, right? Especially maybe the person who is holding space for you, or also the people around you that are breathing along with you. So that could be, would you say that's a very vulnerable space to be in? Because so much is coming through to through you. Um, and if you're not feeling that comfortable, yes, you're pushing beyond your comfort zone, comfort zone. But if, you, if you're not comfortable in that environment, maybe you don't have the ideal outcome you're looking for. What are your thoughts around that? Wonderful question. Wonderful question about safety and connecting to the environment around you. We are animals. We're animals. We have much more not evolved from being caveman, cavewoman. And at all time, as 
uh, an animal, you're assessing whether you're safe or not. So you're checking your environment, the different sounds. And in order to do this inner work, you need to feel safe. It's, you're going to be extremely vulnerable. I would say to facilitator that I train, almost all you need is to create a safe space. It doesn't matter if you have the knowledge and people and you know what you're talking about. You need people to feel safe. And if you have the ability to create safety for the people that you work with, then everything, the magic can happen. And, it, and there is a recipe for safety. So you need to apply this. The first is vulnerability. You know, when uh, as a very often I join sessions where the facilitator thinks he's a teacher and he puts himself above the students. And that's a recipe for catastrophe for me. Because if, if I cannot, if I'm focused on you, I'm not going to focus on myself. If I think, oh my God, I would love to look like him. I would be as wise as her. Then I'm not focused on myself. So it's very important that as a facilitator, I say, embody vulnerability because if I start to be vulnerable, it's human, this is how it will work, you will allow yourself to be vulnerable as well. So if I want people to be vulnerable, I need to embody that myself. You need to still be able to hold the space. So there is some you know, control to, to be done. But it's very important that you are able to really tap into your heart and really share what's going on. And I have shared extremely vulnerable things in my sessions, especially when I feel that people are closed. So if I have a group of bodybuilders that are protecting with all those muscles, what's going on, you know, alpha male, then I will be extra vulnerable. I will go the opposite way because I will not try to dominate them being even more masculine. That's not going to work. So I really get, I would say, you need to know the masculine and be in the feminine. And that's having the knowledge, the sign. You can ask me any question. There's nothing you cannot ask me, but I don't need to talk about it. I know the masculine I have. I, I can go there, but I will be holding the space in love, in care, in compassion. And, and uh, so that's for you as a facilitator. I facilitate something that you don't see for me, that's why I do it. I don't see enough in all the other modalities that I've, are out there. And that's my, my specificity is authentic relating. And that's where you tap in what you mentioned about the connection with others. I spend a lot of time, I would say equal amount of time between the different sections, but getting people to connect with each other deeply, authentically, vulnerably. Because I feel that once you have that connection with others in the group, and your body can relax. Oh my God. Because you arrive, remember your condition. Oh my God. This guy with all the tattoos. Oh la la. This guy, he, he's like that. This girl. Oh my God. I know everything about her life because the way she dress. And you have already, your story is run about everyone in the room. And once you connect with people, you realize that's just stories. That everyone is protecting themselves the way they can. And this is not who they are. And when you are people getting people to share truly what's going on by asking really vulnerable questions and then adding the reflection. So authentic relating, an example would be what I think you think about me is. So I would say, you know, so now I'm going to tell you what I think you think about me. Now I'm having an idea of you, the image that I'm projecting and I'm going to test what I think. And then 
after I, I say that, you're going to be able to say, you know what, Alex, spot on or not at all. And ranking it one to five. And then I'll ask you, well, tell me more. So now you're going to tell me on something that I find vulnerable about me, how I am actually perceived. So I'm going to have a really specific information about how I'm perceived by you instead of projecting how you perceive me. Yeah? So by having all those exchanges, and that can be a one minute exchange. Doesn't have to be long, just one minute. You know, but just having sometimes a few minutes of interaction with a few people in the room. I do it when I have had sometimes large crowds before COVID. You get people to really connect with the people around them. And all of a sudden they feel safe. I call my tribe the murmuration. Murmuration, those are people who have uh, trained with me, I call it the murmuration. Murmuration is a group of birds that walk, uh, you see in the sky and they create these incredible shapes. But each bird is only communicating with five or six birds. And then each bird doing that, they are able to move together. I actually believe in murmuration for humans. As long as you are connecting with five, six people authentically and deeply around you and creating that sense of deep connection, then all of a sudden this will have ripple effects. So instead of trying to have huge impact in the world, reaching millions, just try to be a good human and connect and be authentic and vulnerable And this will be the same going on around. I really believe in murmurations as a way of operating for, for humans. And we, of course, we know that we have so much to learn from indigenous populations and animal world. And it's, it is how it operates indigenous populations around the world and also in the animal kingdom. So if we listen to how the elders have been doing things, if we listen to how animals behave, And we honor that we are animals and we are not that evolved with our iPhones and our AI. Then we realize that, you know, we could, we can learn something along the way, not from the future, but from, from the past. And once you have that safety in the facilitator, safety in your peers, then you can feel safe in your body and then you can go within. But it's about creating safety in your environment. And, um, Sometimes it's just closing your eyes and breathing and feeling into it. Say, okay, how do I feel right now? Oh, I don't, I don't like that noise. And, you know, let's say there is noise of construction. I'm going to breathe. And just acknowledging that there is noise and feeling and breathing into it and allowing. Says, okay, then it's already, it's already okay now. It's already okay. And maybe you've got examples, and we all have examples where we feel really vulnerable and very not safe. And then let's say you're... You're jealous about your, your boyfriend and you just voice it to the person. And the fact that you're able to voice it, it disappears. And it says, okay, now I actually feel much better. So sometimes just with some tools of communication and authentic relating, we're able to create that safety without changing the environment. There is still the same noise. There is still that issue with the other girl. But I was able to voice it. And that, that allowed me, regardless of the reaction from the other person, to find safety in my body, just not just being vulnerable. So that's my recipe. That is, uh, that is some great ideas. And, and thanks for sharing that with me. It makes total sense that if you are going to spend the next two or three hours in, in an environment with people who are most likely strangers, then by being able to have some structure 
to encourage conversation, vulnerable conversation will help break down some of those preconceived notions that we are making subconsciously. And if we realize, oh, that person has this story or that person is going through a divorce or that person is having some you know, health challenge, which I didn't even know, somewhere down the line, we are able to relate to them as well. And so once we go into that breathwork journey, we're not going as strangers. We are going as one tribe. Uh, one community that in some way or the other is trying to figure out life, right? No, Nobody has all of it figured out, but then I see where these conversations can really help, you know, like just add some level of trust, add some level of bonding, and then, you know, breathing together. It, it makes so much sense because uh, if you if you look at the origins of the words conspire, it is to breathe together, right? Conspiracy then would be when people come together and breathe. And so I love the ideas that you are sharing. Uh, and so, Alex, uh, what are your thoughts on plant medicine, right? Because in research and evidence is finding that uh, certain plant medicines, maybe more, have, you know, influence the same parts of the brain when it comes to maybe the default mode network. They are having the similar effects if you look at psilocybin as well, like breath work. So what are your thoughts around usage of plant medicine? Do you think breath work is an alternative to plant medicine or do you think plant medicine is a complement or a supplement to a breath work mm. practice? What are your thoughts on that? What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you. Great question on plant medicine and medicine in general. Before I answer that, I just want to share another little tip. When you're asking all those questions, I close my eyes and I take long, deep breath, slow breath through the nose. Because when I talk, and I talk a lot now, I'm breathing through my mouth the whole time. And this is activating my sympathetic nervous system. So I'm conscious of it. So whenever I can, I actually take the space to go for five seconds, inhale, five seconds, exhale, and kind of rebalance my nervous system so I can leave our exchange centered and not needing to be feeling completely depleted. And I think it's it's important for whatever you do for people to really acknowledge as, okay, I'm in sympathetic activity. 
for whatever you do. Let's honor it with parasympathetic. And that allows people to, you know, maintain their energy level uh, throughout the day rather than crashing, being able to come back using, you know, sugar or naps to rebalance it. So this just wanted to plug that in because I think this could be really useful for uh, a lot of people. That being said, you can also speak, but you need to take pauses and rebalance it sometimes with breathing through the nose. It's not, it's not that easy. Now, when LSD was uh, created, it was a pharmaceutical drug created by the laboratory uh, Sandoz. The founders of LSD wanted to know about the effect. When they realized it had some effect on the brain, on the senses, and people could access different part of the subconscious, they wanted. So they brought it to India. And maybe you know that story where they gave one of those babas who had meditated for 20 years, and they, they gave him one pill of LSD. And it was one of the gurus, uh, probably in Rishikesh up there, and, and nothing happened. And 20 minutes later, they gave him another one. And then he said another 20 minutes later, this sentence, which it summarized my belief on, on plant medicine. He said, it's great for beginners. And I think that's it. I think when you are disconnected and you need to come down, you need to be able to tap to go, to go within and you're not able to access it because it's too hard, it's too deep. There is so much... And the muscles, the tensions in the muscles, too many uh, conditioning. Then, of course, the support of substances, medicines, plant medicines, whatever you want to call it, is wonderful and is incredible and get you to tap into inner wisdom. But I would say it's great to know where you can go and to tap into that. But I think if you have the ability to microdose every day with, I like, you know, have a routine that gets you to microdose and then operate it and tap into it and have control over it and direct it so you can be in control of where it's going. It's wonderful. So, you know, I think it's important with all those to just let people go on their own journey and explore rather than be uh, too directive. I really like the idea of, of exploring and making your own journey. But really the breath and those breath journeys and those breath holds and long breath holds gets you to the same place. And on the tools of contraction of different parts of the body, like the shoots that is documented by Dr. Jody Spencer, for instance, that gets you to release DMT because DMT gets released in the pineal gland. And if you react to it in, in, when you take it in plant medicines, it's because you have it within. And how do you release DMT is documented. You can project spinal fluid, you know, have people who are contracting their the muscle between their genital and their anus, uh, perineum, and then moving energy up called kundalini. It's that spinal fluid, and then you can contract your abs, your glutes, your lower back, and really keep moving it up. Tongue as the roof of the mouth, eyes up, and you really keep going up. Then you really have a physical tapping on the pineal gland that will release DMT. So you can have a DMT breath, and it's kind of mechanical. So you can really, it's not like you, all you need is to really be able to be in that state where you can really shoot that energy up. And at the same time, you release tensions, emotions that are stored in the lower chakras, because that's where we store it. And it's cool when it's, okay, I can do it on demand. 
And it's been measured that the resting heart rate of people doing, you know, a few rounds, I modified a bit, but of, let's say the Wim Hof method, the, their resting heart rate gets lower than after the same amount of time doing meditation. So you meditate for 20 minutes or you go on a breath journey with breath holds, with contraction for 20 minutes. Your resting heart rate is lower in, in the second case. So again, this is an incredible prep work for meditation, but I struggle with meditation and I, I believe most people really struggle with it. And I find that breath work is easy and it's much easier because you do something. You just play the track, you breathe, just do what you're told and you get there. And that's what's fantastic about it. It's um, call it meditation for dummies because doing nothing is the hardest thing you can do. That's very, very profound. And I completely agree with you on the topic of plant medicine and breath work. I mean, everyone is free to you know go on their own journey and experiment and find out for themselves. But for me, I found that breath work is such a more sustainable way to you know, practice and access these, you know, higher levels of consciousness. Whereas if you do some plant medicine, a lot of times you need to set aside four, six, maybe 12 hours and you can't just do it at your home. You need to ideally be in a, you know, maybe, maybe travel abroad or maybe go into a different place. So that involves a lot of time, energy and logistics. And maybe there's a time and place for plant medicine as well. But I found that you know, like you pointed out, when you use it properly, you are able to work with your your aura, your chakras, and really bring that kundalini energy up. And that's when you really enjoy that bliss state. And I think that's why Wim Hof says getting high on your own supply. <laughs> You're using your own supply in order to experience these deep states of bliss. Now, I also want to touch on the cold because that's something that I feel you and me am passionate about as well. So what, what drew you to the cold? Have you, have you always been a fan of the cold or, you know, cold exposure? So, or? Man, the cold is, is incredible. Cold, I really invite everyone to, because we have so much conditioning around, you know, if you go outside, you're going to get a cold, uh, put your hat on, uh, that we have really an adverse reaction to it. But there is so much power in embracing discomfort in a conscious way. Like, you know, it's not a day where I, I open the ice bath um, and then I don't think, my God, I want to run out, run away. I, did, I don't want to do it. No one wants to do it. It's your, your body is telling you you're going to die. And when you get in, you feel you're going to die. And having a conscious near-death experience and having the ability to really be comfortably uncomfortable is such a powerful uh, resource to have in life. So for me, it's all about creating habits in, at a cellular level so that when I am facing uncomfortable situations, unwanted in my life, now I've trained myself at a cellular level. I know what, I know what to do. I am able to, um, I'm able to remember Oh, I know what I know that feeling of wanting to escape or wanting to run away. I did it this morning. So you can reconnect to your breath, you know, you can actually stop carne call it the wedge. It creates the space between the trigger, the stimuli and the response. And often this is what we need. We just need space so that we can respond rather than react. And I find and there are not many tools that can help you do that, that the eyes trains you for that. And when you are trained and at something, you can become good at it. And it's all about building habits. 
Habit, habit. Seventy percent of what you do every day is a habit. You sleep in the same, the same side of the bed. You do the same things. Uh, you are taking the same chair when you're, etc., etc. We are habitual animals. So life, you should train as well. And being not comfortable, you should train as well because life is not always comfortable. And it's really not about having a relaxed life. It's about being able to respond to uncomfortable moments in a relaxed way. And that's what. HRV, heart rate variability, is all about. So improving your heart rate variability through breathing techniques, through ice exposure, is now known as a key marker to health and a key marker to longevity. And the science is really catching up on that. So it's important to have. But you can. it doesn't have to be ice baths. It's about witnessing moments where you have to do something you don't want to do. I play with nails. I like the physical aspect of it. Putting your feet on nails or laying your back on nails, like sadhus in India. Uh, or it can be do, writing the book you don't want to write. It can be something doing your accounting. But having those moments where you are going out of your comfort zone, where you're witnessing, oh my God, I really don't want to do that. And, and, and playing with it is a really wonderful practice. And once you do that, you grow up. You get to the next level of yourself. Every time you pass the discomfort, you go beyond, you get to reveal yourself to yourself. And that's what the ice uh, really, really does. Also, the ice is an incredible way to reveal and heal traumas because it is really the cycle of trauma that goes on when you are in an ice bath. You get in, oh my God, so you want to run away. So flight and flight is activated, like is happening when you are experiencing a trauma. So that would be the first layer. And then after that, you freeze. You come to that space or, oh my God, I cannot run away. I cannot fight, I freeze. And that's when trauma happens in the mind. It's where you are disconnecting, where disassociating, you're no longer in your body. And when you come out of the ice bath, you, if you stay long enough, you will experience what's called the after drop, where your body temperature is still dropping when you come out and you will start shivering in an uncontrollable way. And this is the way the body heats itself. What happens with animals in nature when they are experiencing trauma? Two birds are fighting, they move away from each other and they start shaking. Your dog, you play with him for a bit, he starts shaking. So naturally, animals release trauma through the body and then they are okay. The zebra chased by the lion, he's about to die. Sometimes he escapes, he shakes and then he eats. Humans, we don't do that. So we're not hungry when we have something traumatic happening. We cannot sleep. Uh, we have constipated. We don't want to make love. You know, all our functions are closed because we're experiencing trauma and we're not able to release it. So we know it unconsciously. That's why we go to Zumba. We go to club and get drunk on Saturday night. So we know somehow intuitively that releasing through the body is the way to go. And an ice bath and a release through the shiver after is kind of getting the body to relieve the cycle of trauma. And now I'm educating my body to release the trauma. So that now, whenever I'm experiencing a traumatic experience, again, I've experienced that at uh, memory of my body, and I'm able to maybe add a little, a little shake and literally be able to do it when you're experiencing it rather than, you know, 20 years later. So the ice is an incredible teacher. And the best part, you don't have to do anything. Just get in the ice. Your mind is not involved, you know? It's hard to sit down and meditate. You have to convince yourself to do it. 
breath also you have to sit down and it's, it's, it requires willpower. I mean, once you are able to get in the eyes, get out of the way, get out of your own way. And it just works. And that's what's absolutely magical. It just works. That is that is amazing. That is amazing. I love everything that you shared. And in fact, I think Wim Hof says something along the lines of you can live life in two ways. Either, you know, you wait for discomfort and pain to come towards you, which it will. It happens to everyone. Or you can go towards the discomfort, you know, and the pain and confront it like what people do when they do a cold dip or maybe they go into the ocean or maybe they have a cold shower. Like I have a cold shower you know, every morning and I've been doing this for years. And whenever I get an opportunity here in Vancouver, I go for a, you know, cold dip in the ocean. And right now it's, it's pretty cold because it's winter time here and uh, it's, it's fascinating. And, and if you look at people who study habits, they say that usually to build a habit long-term, there has to be some reward at the end of it. Right. And I feel that there's definitely a reward because when you come out of the you know, cold shower or, you know, cold dip. Firstly, uh, I guess on a, a philosophical level, you have won the war or you have won the battle, you have come, you know, you've succeeded. But the other thing also is like, you just feel so much vibrant, so much energy. You feel like, you know, you have a lot of electricity pulsing through you and that sometimes is addictive and that's a good addiction, I feel. Um, but that is something that uh, I feel is hu- very beneficial. And like you pointed out, when you are in the water, Either the cold will, you know, make you have a reactive type of breathing or you can proactively breathe in a certain way that allows you maybe to generate inner fire, inner heat and, you know, enjoy the experience and then come out, but not be too attached to it also. So many things to learn from being in the cold. Uh, Do you find for like maybe like a morning shower, cold shower, is is there an optimum amount of time um, that you can spend in order to reap the benefits? Is there a cutoff point? I know you like to encourage people to experiment for themselves and find out, you know, is there a, like, you know, three minutes and then you're good and you can come out? Or Thank you. When you get in the ice, to go back to what you said before, you release endocannabinoid. So you get high on your own supply, literally. So it is why you say it's slightly addictive. You feel euphoric. Yeah, you release those hormones. You release endorphin, adrenaline, neuroepinephrine, so you are getting the hormones that uh, lead to it. So and and euphoria follows dysphoria. You know when you have a stressful moment in your life and then it comes to an end, then you appreciate. You know you have a deadline. You're stressed. What am I gonna do? And then you it's over. Oh my god! I feel so good and so happy and I can celebrate. And so when you take an ice bath, this is what's happening. When you do breath work with breath holds and then you relax, as we mentioned, and you do nothing, you are also producing those hormones. So it's important to not skip the last part because you've experienced dysphoria, harvested shivasana, relaxing after, meditating after an ice bath, meditating. So this is where you really get the cash on the euphoria uh, on a hormonal level. There is science on your question on what's the optimal optimal time. There are two things here. It's, uh, optimal time from a physiological perspective, and then there is the mind over matter. So from a physiological benefits, there was no proof that taking, I think it was more than one minute, had physio- you have all the, because you have, when you have, we do one minute, you have the stress and you get over it. And I think that's the only thing. You stay in the ice until 
you don't need to get out. If you want to get out of the shower, you stay. And when you are okay, then you can go. And this way, you know, it's a personal answer rather than an amount of time. It's really for all of us to realize that, have I learned something? Can I be comfortably uncomfortable? That's what you want to learn from that experience. If you do it with a focus on the goal, five minutes, 10 minutes, one hour, one minute, it doesn't matter. You're missing the point. The point, you're not going anywhere. It's enjoy the journey. So let go of time when you breathe. Let go of time when you do a breath hold. Let go of time when you take a shower. Because if you are focused on, I'm going to hold my breath for one minute. It's good to train at the beginning, but it's missing the point. You want presence when you do your breath hold. That's what you want to get to. And you, for that, you need to let go of the outcome. And to be just present, is, oh my God. And if someone is fully present and, has, and, and they hold their breath for 30 seconds, that's great. It doesn't have to be a long breath hold. And I, someone who's done four minutes, but they are really just happy to write down in their book that it's four minutes and what they get out of it is that they can hold their breath. Long. They're missing the point. Same with the, with the eyes. Let's let go of outcomes. I think it's, and it can at the beginning to help you get into building habits. Um, but yeah, it's uh, what I like to recommend is if you can to not artificially heat up the body. And that's a bit of a tricky one at times. And that really has to be said if you're in a safe environment. Of course, if you're in nature, you need to have, you know, a hot drink, warm clothes and really do all these practices progressively. You know, there is nothing that needs to be done in a violent way. You know, stay in the feminine in all you do. But learning to be okay, not to be okay, is an important part. When you can get out of the ice bath, and again, if you're in a safe environment, feel, oh my God, I, I'm not okay right now. My body temperature is still dropping. I'm not safe in my body anymore. And be okay with that. That's really powerful. And at the moment you will say, you know what? If I can swear here, fuck that. And you, you know, get into the sauna, you heat up the body, it says. And if you are able to serve that edge, to be in that point where, you know what? I can trust my body. My body is going to heat up. My body is going to take care of himself. And you just meditate and you stay with it and you allow the body to have the space. Then you know what? When the doctor is going to call you and says you've got cancer, when someone is going to tell you, say, hey, you're, this person in your life died, then all of a sudden you will experience not being okay. And if you're not training yourself at any point in your life to be okay, not being okay, well, then you're in for a ride. Because life is not preparing us to not be okay. Our parents are protecting us from experiencing any emotions. Don't cry. Come on, let's go do something fun. Don't be sad. You know, we're conditioned not to experience our emotions. So when it comes in an overwhelming way, and if you're not training ourselves to deal with it, and it's a pretty nasty place to be. So there is a lot that can be said about what we can learn from those practices, about how we are training at life. We train at being humans. We're not being educated to be humans. We don't know anything about our bodies. We don't know how to deal emotions. We don't know how to parent our kids. We don't know how to be partners. There is nothing that we are being taught that is actually useful for life. We are being trained to be good little 
soldiers to fit into some kind of society which has rules and its functions because we are so many people on this planet that if we were all honoring ourselves, well, that would be a complicated place to manage. And we let, people like to control other people. And we are not taught to be happy. We're not taught to be healthy. We're not taught how to eat, what to eat, um, et cetera, et cetera. And that, those practices are absolutely life-transforming because they are essential living practices. There's nothing rocket science. And everything we share, every time people say, yeah, that's common sense. Yeah, that's common sense. There is nothing that you can really argue because your body knows it's just truth. It's common sense and it's truth. And, and that's what's wonderful about it. And I, I invite people when they receive some kind of knowledge and information to just check in with the body. How do I receive it? And when you do that, then all of a sudden you realize that a lot of things that you receive from teachers and parents and society doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. And for that, you need to be able to tap into that that inner truth. Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing all of this, Alex. I'm sure our listeners are able to take in and even relate to a lot of what you shared about the code, about breath work, about life overall. Um, since we are in a new year, 2022, what is, is there something that you're excited about this year, about, you know, your business, your practice, uh, something that you'd like to share? Thank you, brother. I really believe in the power of visualization. Uh, I've shared it before. You create the life you want to live. My personality creates my personal reality. I'm really believing in that. And my vibration is something I can control and that can have an impact. So, you know, for me, this year is really about doing less. And that's what I shared. It's like, I think we realize that there is too much of everything in this world. And now we need to able to come to a point where, okay, we have enough. And can I be happy with what is there and not chase more and more and more? Because so for me, it's really a year of appreciation, of humbleness, of enjoying what I have, my connections, my kids, my space, my nature, and just just being happy and not chasing. So, from of course, from a more practical perspective, I also want to make my uh, the teaching more available. So I'm going to record some online courses that will be affordable because I really want people to have access to them. I do facilitator training twice a year. Next one is in April. It's online and offline so people can join from all over the world. It's a six-month program. We really go deep, three weeks intensive, and then uh, six months all together. It's, I do a free session once a month because I really want people to experience all that, even if for everyone. So there is a free session once a month. And I do short two-days workshops and trainings for people who really want to understand their bodies, how to hack it. So yeah, that's my current uh, offering. I have all of this on uh, a link tree, Breathing Cold, Instagram, Breathing Cold Bali, my website, Breathing Cold Bali. I'm easy to talk to. I'm easy to reach out. I'm always available for, for people. I love connecting. So yeah, but thank you for asking. That is awesome. And um, Action Tribe and people who are listening to this episode right now, make sure that you follow both of our handles, Breathing Cold Bali, as well as 
my seven chakras make sure you follow us and also if you are watching the stream make sure you take a screenshot and you can share it and tag both of us so that we can share this conversation further alex thank you so much for appearing on our show really enjoyed learning from you and and from your experiences and what you found so far on your journey for somebody who wants to learn more about you any any more advice or guidance I did a lot of uh, podcast interviews. So uh, again, if they've managed to, through my Instagram, they find my link tree. There's tons of content out there. I also share about my teachers and mentors very transparently. I have a, a WhatsApp group where I share much more openly and, and Telegram groups. So I also share there things that are much more relaxed way, less controlled way. So yeah, there are many ways to connect with me in many ways. And so, yeah. Just uh, just reach out, Breathing Cold Bali in one form or another. Happy to uh, support you guys. And it, it is a time when we need to support each other, when we need to give. So I'm really, really here to support others in any form I, I can. So, yeah, let's care for each other. That is awesome. And, you know, for me, one of my intentions this year is to convert my podcast, which I'm doing like so, into more of an adventure cast where I, you know, actually travel to meet my guest. Uh, we do some breath work, we do some cold exposure, we do something else. And then we have our podcast so that it's very experiential and we're able to have that shared experience. So I'm just setting the intention that I'll, I'll be sometime in the future, be able to have another follow-up podcast with you, hopefully in person. Uh, but once again, thank you for appearing on our show talking to all of our listeners about breathwork and so many other topics and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Mm, let's take three breaths to close, brother. Everyone inhale. And through the mouth, exhale. And again, inhale. And let it go. And one last time, inhale. And out. Have a good breath, everyone. See you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at my7chakras.com. That is my, S-E-V-E-N, chakras.com. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.